Big girls don't cry. Ugh, I cry all the time. Does that mean I'm not a big girl? Oh well, adult or not, I will admit to a childlike excitement about today's guest. Broadway veteran and Jersey tenor Brian Noonan stopped by to chat about the New Year's Eve bubbly bash with the Jersey tenors. And this is but a sampling of their beautiful voices. And as a fan of the Four Seasons, I will always be giddy when I hear it. Brian Noonan has starred on Broadway and national touring companies as The Phantom in Phantom of the Opera, Ross in Les Miserables, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in Jekyll and Hyde, Cable in South Pacific with the legendary Robert Goulet, Gus, Growl Tiger, in Cats, and in Jesus Christ Superstar. As an international concert soloist, Mr. Noonan has performed for a myriad of presidents and world dignitaries. And he is now the founder and managing director of the Jersey Tenors, the newest opera rock mashup sensation. The Tenors create an explosive blend of iconic opera classics alongside rock and roll greats like Queen, Elton John, and Bon Jovi, to name a few. But they never forget their Jersey roots. Highlighting Jersey legends like Frankie Valli and the Four Seasons, of course, Frank Sinatra, Bruce Springsteen, and even Miss Whitney Houston herself. And so without further ado, here is my interview with the talented Mr. Noonan. Well, hello, sir. How are you today? Nice to spend some time with you. Thanks for having me. Of course. I'm really excited to talk to you about this. You are the founder of the group, the Jersey Tenors, and I'd really love a rundown on how that came to be. What inspired you to take a group of ragtag guys from Jersey and tour the world with your dulcet tones? Uh, <laughs> I love that description. I got to use that in our tagline. Um, you know, we, I, I've been a, um, a Broadway performer for the better part of my, uh, the last 30, 35 years, and I started my own corporate and social entertainment company thinking I was going to just provide entertainment uh, uh, for those type of outlets and industry, but I got pulled back into, back into theater again and um, having the opportunity to work and hire, you know, my own friend, my friends and the people that I really admire. Uh, we stumbled across obviously the great music of, of New Jersey. I mean, there's so many iconic artists that come out of this, this great state. I mean, of course you think of the big icons like Frank Sinatra Bruce Springsteen, Frankie Valley, and the Four Seasons. But I mean, there are so many other artists that uh, that uh, are, are are out there, and, and Bon Jovi. I mean, Cool and the Gang, uh, Connie Francis, the Shirelles. I mean, so many. So we we just decided that we were going to start compiling all of this great work by these artists, and and we kind of put it all into you know one show called the Jersey Tenors. So that's fantastic. And you mentioned um, you mentioned Frank Sinatra before, and all these Jersey greats, and. I don't know if I'm just on this kick of embarrassing myself on this podcast lately, but I have such a crush on basically any man who can sing. So you you totally count in that. <laughs> I all due respect to your wife. <laughs> but I'm I'm listening to your music and and getting ready for this interview and just getting really excited because I say this all the time. I have no musical talents of my own. So I love to see it in other people. And you've done at least, what, 173 shows this this year alone. And I want to know, how are you still functioning? It's crazy. You know, I, I it's we're, we're glad to have the work, of course, you know, during the pandemic from 20 to 22, it was the dry spell. We thought live performance was going to be over for, for many, many years. So when we... When the when they started coming back again, we we really prepared ourselves. We were ready to hit the ground running, as it were. And um, and when clients and theaters and uh, corporate and social clients and entities found out that we were still viable, then they just kind of rushed to us. 
And then as we performed and got out there, the word got out there even more. So from 256 two years ago to last year, to this year, doing 173. We're trying to slow it down a little bit. I know we talked on the phone. It's It, it does get a little much. I've got three wonderful children that I miss dearly and, and going on the road a better part of the year really, really hurts. So, and especially in other than formative years. So, but from training purposes, we're all a bunch of Broadway, you know, performers who keep training and training our voices and making sure we're tip top shape uh, to deliver the product and, yeah, but we're, it's the ride is so much fun. I have to say that, you know, coming on stage and performing this music and the way we unveil the show, too. Uh, it's very interactive with our audiences. It makes it so much fun to perform. Interactive in what way? Do I get to sing also? You can. Believe it or not, there are people that will get up there. I'm telling you. We, we let the audience know from the get-go that this is going to be a conversation. And sometimes they're, they're, there's a little bit of a pushback. They're not sure. of It feels a little eggy. Uh, but once the third or fourth song comes along and then they start feeling, oh, it's okay to start responding back and forth. So it ends up, ends up being a collaboration with our audience. And at the end of the show, they're just, <laughs> sometimes they're just shouting back at us. I mean, it's, it's, it's really a gas. Um, I can't explain it. But once we, once we hook them, once we get them in there, it's, it just becomes a whole different you know, type of show. I love that. I love interactive shows. Lucky for you, I will not be singing because I, like I said, it wouldn't sound good. It would be like a cat, you know, meowing or something. <laughs> it just wouldn't be great. <laughs> well, as long as you're jiving and having fun with us, and I encourage you to find an aisle seat if, you, if you're up for it. <laughs> yes. Oh, that sounds great. Well, you actually have, what, two sold out performances this New, New Year's Eve. Yeah, the people at Surf Life have been great to us. We we did a show back in February of uh, of the year prior, and uh, the ownership and Stephen uh, you know, um, Stephen Gale, who have been so amazing to us, uh, decided that they wanted to use us for our gala, the two show gala um, on New Year's, and she just let us know that uh, all sold out, four hundred fifty, not four hundred fifty a show, not a seat to be had. So that's so exciting. I'm very happy for you and for the guys. So congratulations. But talking about the guys, let's let's touch on that for a little bit. I believe you said that you have two rosters and that's kind of how you handle 173 shows. But for this roster, the guys who are going to be performing with you at Surflight, can you talk to me about them? Why do you like working with these guys and who are they? Well, it does create a special, we have to create a special chemistry in doing this show. Like I said, it, it, it's not only does it require just an amazing, versatile vocal talent, um, the two there was a foursome of our Jersey tenors and there are two rock tenors and a two opera tenors. So we really have to go through a painstaking process to screen audition, call back a number of a uh, number of gentlemen who come in and perform our show. And um, once we get that, that down and we, we fine tune it, then, then we teach them the motif of the show. So, um, so it takes a lot of training, usually about four to five weeks of an onboarding process. Uh, and the three guys that will join me on the 31st uh, for New Year's at Surflight are just amazing. Uh, Isaac, Sean, and Joey, just incredible vocalists, incredible people to be on stage with. And it also requires them to be a lot of, be malleable and flexible with the, um, with the, with, with the motif that we put forth and stuff like the conversation that we have with our audience. So now you mentioned the the two rock tenors, the two opera tenors, and you are an opera tenor, correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So can you explain to me and also to our listeners uh, the difference between a rock tenor and an opera tenor and what that means? 
Well, I, I come from the world of Broadway where I was singing a lot of legit musical um, and, and but but I also had an appreciation and studied and studied with private voice teachers, um, everything from, you know, Pavarotti music to Turandot to uh, Puccini to uh, the lot. So I always had an affinity. However, I didn't get a chance to perform it uh, at the level of the Met or the Lincoln Center Opera, New York City Opera. So when we had an, uh, when we had our chance to infuse that rock and opera together, we didn't know what was going to come of it so um and when we saw how well it matched up and how well it infused it just it was such a gas so um but as a as a musical person you know we're, we never want to be pigeonholed into one particular uh style so because I, I i love to sing you know uh, counting crows as much as i love to sing luciano Pavarotti and, and nessun dorma or, or Les Mis. Um, Les Mis, Les Mis a Rob happens to be one of the shows that brought a lot of our original group members together because uh, it required an incredible amount of vocal dexterity. I, you know, as we're approaching the Christmas season, I remember that the first time I ever saw Les Mis, and don't judge me for this, but the first time I saw it was the movie. I did not get to see it on stage. I still to this day haven't seen it on stage, but I saw it on Christmas Day years ago when it came out, which was maybe not the best choice because I cried a lot that Christmas. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I mean, I love, I love that show. So I'm, you do a rendition of One Day More that is lovely yeah it's a real we, we use it as our encore i'm not letting the cat out of the bag but it's a, it's a sh show that like i said when it brought our original group together the, the original foursome uh, of, of the jersey tenors were all um all uh, lame as veterans so we decided to keep that number in the show as our encore and and it uh ends up serving us well but it is an exceptional music and if you have a chance to see you know the stage production it is epic day another destiny this never-ending road to calvary these men who seem to know my crime will surely come a second time one day i did not live until today how can i live when we are parted one day
Broadway, you know, you you mentioned that you're all Broadway vets, and I would love to ask you a little bit about your history on Broadway. And if I could start with like a favorite memory, funniest story, scariest story, you pick what order you want to tell me all those things in. Oh man, um, well, listen, I just I I consider myself very very fortunate to to, to have a, a long Broadway uh, career for about 17 years before I started the company. Um, Probably one of my favorite roles to perform was was Jekyll in uh, Jekyll and Hyde and, Je- and Frank Wildhorn's Jekyll and Hyde, just because it required so so much effort, not only physically but vocally, and the transitions back and forth between the you know the evil guy and the and the good doctor. Um, I'm trying to think of really really funny stories that happened um, when I was in Les Mis, I played Andros, uh, and we we were we happened to be on the road performing. Um, and our first show was in Washington, D.C. for uh, then President Bill Clinton back in 1996. And they told us in when we got to the theater at the National Theater in downtown D.C. that uh, you have to know that this this theater is haunted. And we were all like, OK, yeah, yeah, it's haunted. So can they, and, the, and the ghosts always come out the first night or opening night for every show that comes through. And we all laughed it off, but we were just so excited to have the, you know, the first family there. And uh, in the middle of the first number, our Jean Valjean loses his voice. Um, uh, a couple of pianos go down and stop, stop playing. Um, and at the end, one day more, which is the finale of act one, when I raise up the, you know, my, my gun, um, the guns literally split in half and it's a real gun. The gun split in half and it was like swinging like a pendulum in front of me. And at the, so at intermission, by the, by the time we got intermission, there were some girls who didn't even want to perform the show because they were like, what's going to happen next? You know, so that's one of the one of the things that kind of freaked a lot of people out. But I thought was was rather funny and entertaining. Um, I'm a huge fan of these ghost stories. So this could be a completely different podcast if we go in that. <laughs> but, Broadway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, look, I love all things uh, about the Great White Way. So anything that you want to talk about, um, you were also previously the Phantom at one point. Yeah. Right? That I was the last Phantom. One. 
That was yeah, that was the last Broadway production I did. And that was back in 2000, 2001. And, and, um, and that, that was a, a really, really challenging role. I had the opportunity of both playing the Phantom and Raul at different times. And, um, and that was, that was a, such a treat and, and, and very, it was a very difficult role as well to perform very physical and, um, and to sing Andrew Lloyd Webber's music and music of the night and all that great music is, is, was, was such a treat. So. If I'm remembering correctly, Phantom of the Opera was my very first Broadway show as a kid. So really? that one is still really special to me. I listen to the music all the time. It's just so dramatic. You know, I can't, I can't get over the drama of it. I love it. Yeah. And they really, and you think about it, it's a dime store novel that, that they just turned into this mega production. It was, and it really stood the test of time. It really did. And, and it's a credit to Cameron McIntosh too, who really went to the nth degree to keep up with the production design from the gowns to the dresses to the, of course, the, the famous chandelier that comes crashing down to the stage. Oh yeah. It's stunning to see it on stage. And that's one where, you know, I said before that I was embarrassed to have seen Les Mis as the movie first. And I'm very grateful that I saw phantom on stage first i love the movie as well but right. there's something about seeing that on stage it's just breathtaking breathtaking yeah i agree there's not there's nothing like live performance you know live band or orchestra 20 you know 20, 20 some pieces just backing you up it's it's when you go to theater i i always feel have this feeling of i, I want to be manipulated in some way take me on a journey you know and and allow me to just you know you know to ride with it so yeah, what a good way to put that. I just, I want to be removed from my own life. Take me away from reality for a little bit and entertain me, make me cry, make me laugh. Whatever it is that you're going to do, I'm here for it. I'm giving consent. There you go. <laughs> take, my, <laughs> take me away. <laughs> Speaking of uh, live band and live performance, the Jersey Tenors is a group of four men, but we'd be remiss if we didn't mention a very important woman, your maestra, Miss Karen Dreyer. Please regale us with how amazing she is and what it's like working with her. Well, we stumbled across, we, we worked together on the road when I was touring with Miss Saigon in, in Pittsburgh. And I, and I recall looking for um, a, a music director who is going to be versatile enough to be on stage with us and also be theatrical with us as well, because we, we like our band to kind of participate in what's going on as well. Um, um, while while they're not playing their instruments, but uh, Karen and Karen uh, and I started working together. She came on board in 2017, and she instantly not only brought a level a high level of musical knowledge, but her ability to lead orchestras uh, across across this nation it, is incredible. Uh, oftentimes, just to, um, to to break it down for you, we'll come in with um, at least a. Um, a drums and and keyboard, which Karen is a keyboard conductor. Sometimes we'll bring our bass and guitar with us, but we'll hire out local horns and additional music to um, to supplement uh, our show. But she is just she's just a quick study on how to be able to impart all of the knowledge in this show. She's a glue that actually keeps us together. And I take a moment in every show at some point or another to to give her that credit. And and oftentimes she'll be able to come out with us in our meet and greet after when we're selling our merchandise and, and the people just shower her with praise. They just love, you know, they love the fact how into it. And she's very theatrical in the way she unveils the show. So Karen Dreyer, if you're watching this right now, we love you. We think you're amazing. And uh, I can't imagine doing this show without you. All of the applause to Karen Dreyer. She sounds wonderful. And I love hearing about women in in positions of of power for all of the little girls who you know are currently learning yeah. to play violin or learning to play keyboard you know there is more to it 
and maybe one day they will be a maestra. I agree. I agree. We're, we're very, very lucky. And, and, uh, and I hope that uh, continues down the years. Do any of your children play instruments or sing? I think they all, I just went to my daughter's uh, Christmas concert last night, which was great. Bravo. Uh, but, but they, they do like to sing. They, I, I think they rather enjoy watching me perform and not having to get back up on stage. So, um, so they're more into their sports and their lacrosse and their soccer. And, uh, but we don't, my wife and I, who's a, she's a Broadway performer as well. We don't, um, we don't push, uh, we don't push anything on them. We just want them to explore and find their own things. But I think that they like to, you know, see daddy up on stage and doing his thing. Oh, I love that. And and they should be able to do their own thing. Let them get bitten by the bug later Absolutely. on. That's fine. <laughs> if they ever do, they may not. And that's okay. Well, they have my support. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Supportive parents are very important. But you, I've tied this back to your children now because you mentioned before how difficult it is to to tour and to be away from them. So can you explain to me what touring is like? What is life on the road? Yeah, I think it's uh, it certainly is it's not not as glamorous as it uh, appears to be you know we will we'll put posts on facebook and social media pages saying look how fun we are but i think that you know when you're younger and you're so resilient you just bounce around and it's just you're like a pinball and you love it you know i've, I've been too fortunate to you know hit every continent on this planet and with even including in antarctica we've been to antarctica a couple of times um but uh I would say it's very, very lonely. The road is lonely because you it's 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 your miss, you're away from your point of origin, you're away from your home, your family, the ones that you love. So you have to channel all of that energy and that focus and the distractions from being outside that and and focus and, and keep it keep it on the show, keep it on making sure that you're putting together a great product. And and for me, going on the road is a little bit more complex because I don't get to necessarily go out and have all of the fun that some of the other guys are having because I'm knee deep in, in production elements and contacting and reaching out to technical, technical directors and the team and the clients and stuff like that too. So, um, so the fun comes when you take your curtain call and your bows and you're performing, that's, that's where the fun is. So. I understand that. I mean, who doesn't love a good standing ovation? <laughs> yeah. But I will say that I'm, I'm not trying to paint this like lonely, gloomy picture of being on the road. I, I'm so blessed to to visit places that I would never even consider buying a ticket for and, and traveling. And, and like I said, I've, I've been to so many beautiful places and performed for so many world dignitaries. And those are experiences and memories that I'll never forget. Um, but uh, but there's nothing like uh, right here and right now. <laughs> I feel you. I do. Well, we're coming up on a new year already, which is crazy to me, but tell me a little bit about your new year's Eve show and why that's special, why it's unique. Yeah, that this is our original show that we're going to perform at, at the surf light. We actually have two installments of our show, one of which we'll bring. And I know that Gail and Steel, Steve will want me to mention this, which is our movie, movie tribute. And we're going to be bringing that to the surf light this summer. Uh, that show has been out for about two and a half years right now, but the show everyone's going to see uh, on, on the 31st at that surf light will be our original Jersey tenors, which is the tribute to Frankie Valley, Frank Sinatra, Bruce Springsteen, cool in the gang. Whitney Houston, I mean, a whole slew, Bon Jovi. And we really want the audience to experience the love that we have for these great artists. 
Um, yes, we throw Broadway in and rock and opera and Italian opera, and we talk about the journeys and the trips that we've taken across the world. Um, but the main thing that we want to let our audience know is that we're here to have a great time with you. Uh, we want you to con you know converse with us and interact with us, collaborate with us, because at the end of the at the end of the night, it just becomes a just one big party. That's what it is. And, and that's, that's part of the fun and the love that we have performing the show. I want to party and I get to relive my crush on the Rat Pack. I was, I was raised by a much older man. So my music tastes are a little bit different than my peers. <laughs> so am I in love with Dean Martin? Yes, but that's okay. How can you top that guy's smooth voice and his vibrato, right? I mean, it's just, I don't know. It, unbelievable what a talent he was and and he was really he, he was really um frank sinatra's best friend i mean it was it was i know there was a sad ending when when he lost his son and everything like that but but uh dean martin was just i thought the bee's knees as well so i concur he was just so charming you know i could make an entire podcast about how much i love dean martin i shouldn't but yeah he was just such a charming guy with a very smooth voice and like i've already said i will fall for a man with a smooth voice so <laughs> i'm gonna get a bunch of messages now after that but <laughs> it's okay the dulcet tones right yes those dulcet tones the New Year's Eve bubbly bash with the Jersey Tenors will grace the Surflight Theater stage in Beach Haven, New Jersey on, you guessed it, New Year's Eve, December 31st, with two performances at 5 and 8 p.m. For more information, be sure to visit surflight.org. If you like this episode, be sure to review, subscribe, and tell your friends. A transcript of this podcast, links relevant to the story, and more about the arts in New Jersey can be found at jerseyarts.com. The Jersey Arts Podcast is presented by Art Pride New Jersey, advancing a state of creativity since 1986. The show was co-founded by and currently supported by funds from the New Jersey State Council on the Arts, with additional support from the National Endowment for the Arts. This episode was hosted, edited, and produced by me, Gina Marie Rodriguez. Executive producers are Jim Atkinson and Isaac Cerna Diaz. And my thanks to Brian Noonan for speaking with me today. I'm Gina Marie Rodriguez for the Jersey Arts Podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs>